Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, the theme of our text that we're going to be focusing on is, is centered on favoritism. Uh, it's talking about partiality. And this has always been a hot-button topic, but especially in our country in recent years when it comes to the idea of, of treating people differently based on, on different aspects, things that we can see from the outside, uh, things like race and, and gender. These are hot-button topics when it comes to, to t- things like, like bigotry and how, to, how schools teach these topics to our, our children. And we're not going to talk about specific instances or, or uh, applications of this, this idea of favoritism, but instead we're going to talk about the heart of it. We're going to talk about the root cause of favoritism. And we're going to learn that, that God does not view favoritism as, as some small thing, uh, but that is, it is indeed a sin. And we're going to learn that, that still Jesus forgives us for this sin, that we are, are freed as Christians who are, who are cleansed through Christ's sacrifice. We are freed from selfishness, and we are freed to live lives that, that show the same love to everyone that we meet, to everyone around us, not singling out just the people that we like. Uh, our text for this morning is from our epistle. So this is a letter that was written to Christians, right? So that's the foundation. James is writing to people <clears throat> who know that Jesus is their Savior. He's not writing to them to convince them that Jesus is their Savior. They know that. They know that, that they are redeemed by Christ. So that's the foundation. And built on that foundation, James says that for you as Christians, favoritism is incompatible with a Christian heart. So with this weighty topic, let's look at, at God's guidance here through his writer James as we think about the fact that faith and favoritism don't mix. Uh, so this is recorded in James chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 13. Uh, this is printed for you on page 7 in your bulletin. My brothers, have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ without showing favoritism. For example, suppose a man enters your worship assembly wearing gold rings and fine clothing, and a poor man also enters wearing filthy clothing. If you look with favor on the man wearing fine clothing and say, sit here in this good place, but you tell the poor man, stand over there or sit down here at my feet, have you not made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil opinions? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you dishonored the poor man Don't the rich oppress you? And don't they drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who blaspheme the noble name that was pronounced over you? However, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show favoritism, you are committing a sin, since you are convicted by this law as transgressors. In fact, Whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles in one point has become guilty of breaking all of it. For the one who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law of freedom. For there will be judgment without mercy on the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Dear Heavenly Father, these words are yours, and so we know that they are the truth. We ask that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. 
So right off the bat, James starts with his thesis statement. It's in the very first verse of our text for today. And then he backs up that thesis statement with an illustration and some arguments. So his thesis statement is this. He says, My brothers have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ without showing favoritism. So he's saying that, that the, the partiality that this individual Christian congregation was, was already showing was disconnected from their faith in Christ. That, that this is the opposite of the, the fruit that their faith should be producing. And to explain it a little bit, to give it some weight, he gives this example of the rich man and the poor man who enter church. The rich man, everyone can tell, he, he looks nice, he looks wealthy, so they put him in a good spot. They tell the, the poor guy, go, go stand in the corner or you can sit on the floor over here by our feet. Now, when we think about this, right off the bat, we say, yep, that, you shouldn't do that, right? You should not judge a book by its cover. You should not treat people differently based on how they look. But isn't there some level of practicality also going on here in this, in this illustration? Is it, is it a little harsh to call this an, an actual sin? To say that by, by doing this, that we are acting as judges with evil opinions. That, that's, a, that's a little harsh of, of, of James here, isn't it? Because think about this happening here at peace. Okay? There's, a, there's a level of practicality. If somebody comes in, they're dressed nice, they, 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 look, they look like they're, they're well off, like they're successful, it would make sense to have them kind of sit up front. So that other people, especially visitors, could come in and see, yeah, people who come to peace, they're, they're well off, they're, they're successful, they, they look nice, they dress nice. And if there's somebody who looks terrible and, and disheveled and has some outrageous clothing on, if we put them in the back, then, then maybe the cameras won't pick them up, right? If somebody's watching online, it won't be a distraction to the Word. James is very clear in our text here that that, that kind of partiality, that kind of fa- favoritism is sin. Because what we are doing in these situations, when we, when we take two individuals and we treat them in a completely different way based on what we see, we're saying, I am going to judge the value or the worth of these two people. I'm going to decide in my, in my heart which one of these people is more valuable, is more important, more worthy than the other person. And we know that it's God's job alone to judge the value of a human soul. And we try to usurp God. We try to take that role and we try to do this ourselves. What's so interesting about favoritism, when we boil it down to its most simple state, is that it is really rooted in selfishness. So the, the, the heart of favoritism is selfishness. And the, the, the situation in our text, the illustration, is a great example of this. Uh, the wealthy person is treated better than the poor person. I would say that that still holds true today. Right? If you pull up to a restaurant in a, in a super nice car and get on a nice suit, you're going to be treated better than if you walk in with, with dirty jeans on. Why is that? Why do, do wealthy people get treated better than, than people who are poor? Because at some instinctual level in my heart, I know that if I'm hanging out with a rich person, they can give me more stuff than a poor person can. Right? And that's, that's the case with all of us, with, with the world. They say, this, this rich person has more resources, and if I'm close to them, I might get a, a share of that. This poor person has less to give me, has less to offer me. But this idea of favoritism, as I said, it doesn't just, just uh, it's not just wrapped up in wealth alone. It takes a lot of different forms, and, and it can go by a lot of different names. Discrimination, prejudice, racism, chauvinism. All of these things mean that, that we are, are placing value on someone. Their, their value is determined on, on outward things. 
Right? And, and we put people in, in different categories and we say that, that these people are more important than these people because of these outward characteristics. It means that we're treating people differently based on what they can give to us. Right? If this person over here is, is different from me, if their culture is different, their preferences are different, the things that they are doing are, 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 that they like to do are totally different from me, then me having a relationship with them doesn't profit me very much. I'm not going to get very much out of this. They don't have very much to give me if we have, have nothing in common. So I'm going to treat them differently than somebody who, who is similar to me, someone who has more to, to offer me. So ultimately, in all these situations, when we show favoritism, what we are really doing is showing that our favorite person in the entire world is me. Right? It's, it's selfishness. And God says that is, is detestable. Now there's a, a ton of nuance here and a lot of distinctions that, that need to be drawn and that's why a lot of these things are, are hot-button issues. But as you think about the, the idea of favoritism, I want you to keep the word love at the forefront of your mind. Okay, and there's a difference. There's a distinction between love and like. And that distinction was made very clear to me when I was a, 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 young, a young kid. My parents would always tell me, you don't have to like your siblings. Uh, I had three sisters, Right? Uh, and I was the stereotypical annoying brother. Uh, my little brother didn't come along until I was about 12. So I was already the annoying brother for 12 years before he came along. And my parents said, you don't have to like your siblings. You don't have to choose to spend time with them, but you do absolutely have to show them the same amount of love. Now I do absolutely like my siblings. I do like my sisters. I have great relationships with all of them. But the, the idea behind that sentiment still stands. Because there's going to be people in this world, in your life, who rub you the wrong way. People that you, you do not share anything in common with. Favoritism does not, avoiding favoritism doesn't mean that you, you have to like everyone. Right? Not showing favorites doesn't mean that you, you have to go out of your way to spend time with every single person that you meet. But it does mean that you show the same love to all of those people that you do meet. Again, another distinction. I promise that as, as the pastor here at Peace, that I'm going to show love to every child in this congregation. Right? I'm going to treat them with respect and I'm going to treat them in love. But I will treat your children differently than I treat my children. Right? Obviously, there's, there's a distinction here. If I buy my wife flowers on the way home from, from church today, that doesn't mean I have to buy flowers for every single woman in our congregation. My wife is my favorite woman in this church, but that does not mean that I'm exposing my, my favoritism. There's a difference here. What James is saying is that when you look at a person, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter where they come from, when you, when you look at an individual person, let the love that Christ has shown you, let that love be the motivation behind how you interact with that person. No matter any of the differences that, that set them apart, no matter how easy it is to get along with them, go into that interaction with that foundation of the, the same love that God has shown you. Say, I want to show this same love to this person. Look at them and understand that this is a dearly loved treasure of God. Now ultimately, avoiding favoritism means that, that when you are interacting with somebody, your, your heart is changed. It, we look at it in a totally different way than what we would from our sinful nature, right? Naturally, we look at somebody, we say, in this relationship, in this, this, this conversation, I would like to get something from them. 
right? I, I would like to understand what I can get out of this, but the heart of a Christian is, is flipped around because of what God has done for us and in us, how he has recreated us. And the heart of the Christian looks at an individual and says, in this interaction, in this relationship, what can I give? How can I use this as an opportunity to show this person Christ-like love? And to understand this, uh, this concept a little bit more, James points us to the nature of God. Okay, there in verse 5, he says, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you dishonored the poor man. Now that, that phrase, the poor in the world, has kind of a double meaning because James has just been talking about wealth, right? He's been talking about this illustration of the poor guy. But now it, it doesn't just mean wealth. We're not just talking about finances. When James talks about the, the poor in the world, he's talking about the same people that Jesus is speaking of when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's talking about the people who come before God knowing that they are completely spiritually destitute. The people who, who come before God knowing that there is nothing of value, of worth in my heart, in my soul. There is nothing of, of value within me that I can offer to God to pay for my own sins. There's nothing that I can offer to Him to, to buy His favor or His forgiveness or His mercy. He's talking about people who recognize their emptiness and instead put all of their trust in Jesus. The poor in the world, the poor in the Spirit are those who cling to the riches of Christ to his righteousness, his glory, his holiness. People who trust that in, that in every way that we fall short, Jesus has succeeded. Who know that he has fulfilled the law. Not, not just a, a few of those commandments, but the entirety of the law. He didn't stumble at, at one single point and that he lived his entire life doing this for us. He lived and he died and he rose again for us. When he, he attached himself to that, that human nature, when he was born of, of a woman, he came into this world and his motivation was not what he could get from us, but what he could give to us. He said, look at this opportunity that I have to show my people that I care about so much love and forgiveness by dying in their place. And these people, who are us, people who had nothing to offer him at all, he chose us to be rich in faith. He gave this as a free gift to us. The, the gift of being able to live lives with purpose and meaning, knowing that, that we can live a life free of selfishness. I don't have to walk around thinking in, in every human interaction, what can I get out of this? How do I get mine? Because I know that, that God has stored up for me a treasure in heaven. So instead of, of worrying about getting what, what I need, what, what I want, we can walk around living in a selfless way. We can walk around knowing that, that God has a plan for me in my life, that he is leading me on a path towards heaven, and that until I get there, that he's using my time and my talents, he's using every relationship that I have in my life to serve his purpose. We get to live knowing that when our time is up, we get to receive that inheritance as heirs of the kingdom. God has said, you are the poor in the world. You are the poor in spirit, and you are blessed because of Jesus. And that promise, that, that, that blessing is not just for people who are wealthy. It's not just for the, the beautiful people, the, the, the talented, the smart, the, the funny. That promise, that, that blessing is not attached to a nationality or a color or a gender. 
It's one of the beautiful aspects of, of, of Scripture is how it puts all of humanity on a perfectly evil, e- equal playing field. Because right? we, we look at Scripture and it says that it, it's so clear that we are all perfectly equal in how much we all deserve hell. Right? And you can look around, you can, you can look at people in your community and you can point to them and you can say, yeah, that person is worse than me. But James here reminds us, whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles in one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Right? You can't tell a police officer, yeah, I, I, maybe I, I ran that stoplight and, and, and hit a pedestrian, but I was going the speed limit. Right? That you're still guilty. And it's a, the same is true for us. We break, we've broken one law, so we are lawbreakers. We are no more deserving of heaven than anyone else, but we are also, just as we are equal in, our, in, our, in how much we deserve hell, we are equal in how much we are loved by our God. Jesus did not come for some. Jesus came for, for all. He didn't just pay for the sins of, of a few. He paid for the sins of the whole world for everyone. So if there's someone in your life, at work, in your community, maybe in your family who rubs you the wrong way, who you don't really get along with, who, who maybe the, 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 the things that you like to do just, just don't line up, remember that that person is dearly loved by God. Remember that, that, that Jesus values that person so much, no matter what they look like, no matter uh, what they've done, he sees them as so precious that he was willing to endure hell for that person. James says, love your neighbor as yourself because they are exactly the same as you. You are both sinful people who for no earthly reason we can identify were so loved by God that Jesus paid for your sins. The only difference between you and that person, the only thing that might separate you is that that other person might not know that. This is what James is talking about when he says mercy triumphs over judgment. Right? Mercy it goes against our sinful nature because mercy is selfless. Right? Our sinful nature only wants to turn us inside, but mercy turns us outside. It looks to others in, in love. Mercy is a, a fruit of faith, and mercy is our weapon against favoritism, against partiality. The only reason we show mercy is because we have been shown mercy from our God. Right? He has shown us what that mercy looks like. We've experienced it, we've felt it, and so now we in turn show it to other people that, that they might know His mercy. Mercy looks at another person as an opportunity to show love. Not in terms of what we can get, but in terms of what we can give. I think this whole topic of, of favoritism, of fairness in general, I think it's such a hot-button issue in our world in part because there are so many people in our world who feel like they have been treated unfairly. There are so many people who don't know Jesus who are, are lonely, who are, are, are feel like they've been forgotten, who feel like they are, are just starving for love, and who don't know that, that the love that they're starving for is the love of God. The, the unending, overwhelming love that God has shown us. That love that we have experienced through faith. So the, the cool thing about being a Christian, about, being know, about knowing that, that God has recreated us, is that He has designed us as believers, as believers, as our text says, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, so that the love of God shines through us. Right? So God could do this by Himself. 
He could zap down His love from heaven on whomever He chooses. He could say, yep, He could open up the heavens and have that, that ray of light come down and someone say, yes, I feel God's love. I, I see it, I know it, I understand it. But He has chosen to use you and me as His vessels to make His love known. That's how He has chosen to operate. So how, how do we do this, right? How do we show more love to people? How do we become less prone to favoritism? How do we continue to grow in our ability to show equal love to, to everyone we meet? It's not by digging deep and just, just trying really hard, right? It's not by repeating a mantra in our head. It's, again, by looking all the more to Jesus. Because the more we look at Jesus, the more we are in His Word and His sacraments, the more we understand the love that He has shown us, the more we understand the lengths that He went to to win for us forgiveness, the more we look at His Word and we, we read sections like this that are full of law, that show us our own sin, that remind us how poor in spirit we really are, but how rich we are in faith, the more we're reminded of this awesome inheritance, the fact that, that God has said, no, you are, despite what you've done, you are an heir of the kingdom of God. The closer we are to the love of God, the more it shines through in how we live in our daily life. And the end result of this, of us being in the Word and sacraments and experiencing more of God's love, is that others see more of that love shining through us. And that's the goal. No matter who it is, no matter how much money they have, how athletic they are, or how good-looking they are, God's mercy is for them. God's love is for them. Jesus' forgiveness is for them exactly in the same way as it is for you. Amen. Please rise for the blessing. The peace which surpasses all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.